0: Well, good morning, everyone. Um, wasn't that a wild storm on uh, Friday night, Saturday morning? I guess it depends where you're living in Durham, but uh, I thought a bomb went off right over my house. It was just wild with the thunder and the lightning and, and then the, the rain that was pounding down. Uh, we canceled our $1 car wash because uh, the heavens opened up and God gave us all a free car wash. So, yeah, so that's... Uh, but stay tuned because we're going to look for another date in July where we can refresh our community again. So thanks to everyone who was willing to serve. But we'll, we'll come back to that at another time. Uh, next Sunday is actually the day after Canada Day. So it's July the 2nd. It's going to be red and white Sunday here. So uh, find something red, find something white. And we're going to have some ice cream afterwards. It's going to be a red and white ice cream Sunday kind of Sunday. So um, hope you'll join us for worship on, on a long weekend. And if you're unable to be here in person, again, we have our live stream. And that's available for you, uh, whether you're in faraway places or just not able to be here because of other commitments. Um, so again, you can find us on our YouTube channel. I want to give a good shout-out to the, the team that works on our live stream. They do a fantastic job on a weekly basis. And um, if you're looking to get involved in some way here at King Street, that's a wonderful on-ramp for you. Um, And even if you're part of our online community and you're local and you just haven't come to 611 King Street West yet, you could even volunteer and serve once a month on our live stream uh, to help get the word out. We think what's happening here is important, that we uh, get the word out far and wide. So if you're interested in learning more, you can uh, reach out to Pastor Al. And uh, just al at kingstreet.org and he'll be able to uh, direct you to how you can get involved. So today we're continuing, as you've already heard, our series of scripture talks called Finding God. And if you've been with us over the last number of weeks, you'll know that from a theological point of view, to be responsible theologically, it's God who comes looking for us, right? In the opening pages of the story, Genesis chapter 3, The first man, the first woman had chosen to live independent of God and they were hiding and uh, it says, the text says in Genesis 3 verse 9 that God comes looking for Adam and Eve and he says, where are you? And so he is a God who is on a search for us. And so anytime we turn for him, it's always a response, a response to what he initiates. And again, Luke chapter 15, if you're familiar with the Bible, the whole chapter is devoted to this idea of the mission of Jesus in the world, where uh, a woman is searching her home to find a coin she'd lost. A shepherd leaves 99 sheep to go find the one that had wandered away. And then the story of uh, one of the sons who asked for his inheritance prematurely while his father was still alive, went off into the far country and squandered his wealth and wild living, and then turned for home, and the father was just... uh, anything but reluctant as he runs out to greet his son who had turned for home and so um, we are in the crosshairs of god's extravagant love and when we see jesus the crucified jesus on the cross we see the extent by which god would come looking for us and so uh, it doesn't matter what we've done or what we've left undone in life this is the truth about who we are we carry incredible intrinsic value And so God is the one who comes looking for us. Uh, We have shown you a picture over the last couple of Sundays, uh, a painting, a portrait by Michelangelo. If you've been over to um, Rome and you've seen the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican, you've seen a painting. This is a zoom in on it, of course, where it's the reach of God. You can see God straining, and uh, he is... um, Again, wanting to make contact with the human, but he doesn't violate his freedom. He leaves enough space for the human to reach back, and you can see the reluctance of Adam. Uh, The painting's actually called The Creation of Adam. I think it could have been better branded The Reluctance of Adam, because he doesn't really seem that overly committed to making contact with God. And if you actually saw the whole portrait, Adam is kind of reclining back on one arm, and he's just sort of thinking, should I make the effort and God is is doing His part, right, by reaching. And so this series has been about um, emphasizing the little gap, and saying, how are we doing these days with our human inclination to be somewhat reluctant in reaching back for God? Um, so today's scripture talk is going to, I hope, just take you a little bit further along the continuum of making friends with yourself and giving yourself permission to be the unique person that you are. God has wired you and made you in his image and likeness, and all of us in this room today bear his image. We are like angled mirrors reflecting the glory of God, the goodness and beauty of God to the world around us. That's the way it's supposed to work. So we all have that in common, and yet we all have a backstory, our family of origin. We have cultures we've come from, experiences that have shaped us in many ways, some positive, some not so much, and we also have a personality and a temperament, and 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 we also have what I'm going to introduce to you today, and we did this a number of years ago, probably more than 10 years ago, this idea of spiritual pathways. And um, spiritual pathways are uh, opportunities for us, environments, practices by which you and I can connect with God, by which we can close the gap. I think it's important for us to, to be clear about a few things. Let me, let me just share a few principles with you before we look at our passage to ponder. These are important ideas for us today to keep in front of us as we work through this, this idea of spiritual pathways. Early Christians, in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, were described as people of the way. Uh, that's one of the ways they were described. They were also called Christians uh, in in Damascus. Um, uh, they, were, they were referenced as little Christs, and people of the way is a fulfillment of what was said about John, who was the baptizer, and, and it was said that he would make level ground for their feet, that there would be a way that would be paved. Well, that became very much synonymous with people who put their saving faith in Jesus, that they were known as people of the way, and so what's important for us is to understand that there is one way to God as we understand the Gospels through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we connect with God differently along the way. And when we look across the aisle and expect the other people in this room to connect with God just like we do, um, we do a disservice to our neighbor. And we do a disservice to the uniqueness by which God has made us as his creatures and his image bearers. And I think sometimes what can happen is we feel very much pigeonholed, kind of square peg, round hole. This is what it means to follow Jesus, and I have to do it like this. Well, there is one way, and we want to follow Jesus. This is not a teaching on, the, on syncretism, that all roads lead up the same mountain. Uh, this is a teaching about within the narrow way of the gospel, the way the people of God, as described in Acts chapter 9, there are all sorts of different ways by which we can connect with the one true God. And so, uh, again, before we leave today, I hope there'll be just a little bit more permission-giving to say, well, this is the way I'm wired, and that makes a little bit more sense to me now. And I can allow my neighbor, my family member, my friend, my church family, to actually experience and connect with God in their unique way. So I'm really, really grateful for um, Gary Thomas, who wrote a book called Spiritual Pathways. I'm also grateful to John Ortberg, who wrote a book called An Ordinary Day with Jesus. It was actually a curriculum. And both of these men have, have focused on this concept of spiritual pathways. And it's often ignored, um, I'm trying to remember the author who actually said, it might have been Gary Thomas, he says, it is irresponsible. It would be no more irresponsible, just as a doctor would prescribe every, for every ailment penicillin to a patient, it would be just as irresponsible for us um, to kind of issue a prescription as it relates to connecting with God. It must be done like this. So I'm going to introduce four pathways to you today, and some of them you will resonate with more easily than others, and it won't be an exhaustive list in uh, Gary Thomas's book he outlines 9 but i have picked 4 today because i think they are the most common and uh, you'll find that there's probably primary and secondary pathways as we move along and i hope there'll be some some meaningful aspects of this that you can take with you and uh, and as we get to know god we get to know ourselves better if we know the lord jesus intimately and closely we should have a greater measure of self-awareness not a less Um, awareness of our own own personal self. So there should be a sense of self-knowledge that comes out of our faith uh, with Jesus and in Jesus. So if you're able, would you stand with me, our passage to ponder? Uh, Just before we read it together, let me read it to you, and then we will read it together. I just want to draw your attention to a couple parts of this. Seek the Lord is what Isaiah says. This is what this teaching series has been about, seeking the Lord, not reluctantly, but intentionally and deliberately. Seek the Lord while he may be found. It's not that he moves away from us. It's actually that while we're in the land of the living, he may be found. So as long as you have breath in your lungs, you have life in your body, this is the day of salvation, as the biblical writer says. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him. This is a picture of prayer. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, a category of people who are characteristically known for going against the ways of God. Let the wicked forsake their ways, and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, a picture of repentance. And when we turn to the Lord, what happens? He will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Okay, just wanted to make a few comments about that before we read together. So why don't you read so your neighbor can hear you? Let's recite this passage together, Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, And the unrighteous, their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. All right, so as we make friends with spiritual pathways, we position ourselves for flourishing. And um, because not all practices resonate with all people, Um, we're gonna find as we go through these practices or these pathways, that Jesus embodies all four of them incredibly well. You see in the gospel account that Jesus actually participates in all of these. Uh, You and I are not Jesus. We're called and invited to be little Christs. So we are imperfect reflections of the one true God who reveals himself in Jesus to us. Uh, But he embodies them perfectly. Um, This teaching, if it's well-received and well-communicated, will invite you to do this, to look at all four of these pathways and say, all four of them are for me. But one or two of them might be more primary and secondary, and I want to play to my strengths in the way God has perhaps wired me. And not push against it, but say yes to it. And like I said, it's not exhaustive, but it's going to introduce the idea to you anyway. Okay? So here we go. Number one, here's the first one. Relational pathway. Uh, people who have a relational pathway. Now, this is not introversion, introversion extroversion, though it might include some aspects of that. It's way more than that. People who have a relational spiritual pathway feel a strong sense of connection with God when we are in close connection with others. Now, this is not the same as playing baseball. This is not the same as washing cars. It's not the same as just doing domestic tasks around the house. It could include it. It could include it. It doesn't disqualify it, but it's more than that. It's not about saying I'm a highly relational person and that's how I do life and God made me that way. And No, we would be missing the forest for the trees on that one. What this is about is being spiritually formed in a relational circle. It's stepping into, with deliberate intentionality, a community whereby we begin to share our lives. It's being on mission with your friends in the world. It's different than just playing baseball. And so it's about putting yourself in a relational circle for the purposes of carrying out the mission of Jesus and for the purposes of spiritual formation. So what happens in the circle is more than sports, more than arts. Though it may include it, there is a a higher purpose um, for it. So the description of people who may have a relational pathway, this is the best I can give you. Spiritual refreshment and growth happens best when we meet with a few friends. So all of us in this room, we are relational creatures, right? We are made in the image and likeness of God, as has been said already this morning. God is a relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The fact that we bear his image and likeness means that we have a strong aptitude and desire to connect relationally. The degree to which you and I connect relationally in the world has a lot to do with the quality of our lives because that is what's consistent with our design. And so all of us in this room can say, yeah, that's me. I am wired for relationship. But there are certain people who find themselves drawn to a deliberate, intentional, spiritual formation or discipleship track that includes life-on-life relationships. We see them all through Scripture. We see the prophet Elijah and his protege Elisha. We see Paul and Timothy show up in the New Testament. And this is a biblical character example for us. Listen to Paul as he writes to Timothy and how they did life together. He says, Paul does, to Timothy, You, however, know all about my teaching, not just about what I taught, my way of life, the way I approach living in this world my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, endurance, the persecutions and the sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured. Paul shared his life deliberately and intentionally with a young man named Timothy. And I have to believe that Timothy, the protege, was very much wide awake and open to that kind of life-on-life relationship. Both of these men connected with God as they connected with each other. And so this was more than picking up a baseball glove and a ball at the ball diamond. This was about doing the mission of Jesus and being formed in some way from life together with each other. And so this is the idea behind, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens another in Proverbs chapter 27. And so if we're going to be the kinds of people who give ourselves permission to get connected, more connected to God and experience his close proximity through relationship, we will need to deliberately be selective about who we put ourselves in relationship with. And uh, I am committed to my small group community. It's good for me to be there. And I don't lead it. I just get to be a part of it. Uh, the things I hear, the things I get to experience by being in a circle of committed um, friends around our common faith in Jesus is good for my soul. It's good for my faith. It takes me further along my growth adventure in following Jesus. For some of you in this room, this might be one of the tests. You struggle with small group communities. You've tried them before. It just doesn't seem to be a good fit. Is it still good for you? Yeah, probably it is but there may be some measure of frustration that goes with you because it's not a primary spiritual pathway for you. Should you still join a small group community? My suggestion would be I think you should find a circle to belong to, a circle where you can meet people and do life with them, but it may not be quite as intense and deliberate as what we call a spiritual growth small group. It may be a service small group because service might be a primary pathway for you. When you are serving, you feel the close proximity of God and you get the benefit to do it in a community because all of us need relational connection. You can kind of see how we're being deliberate about putting ourselves in environments where we can play to the way God's wired us and also maximize our experience of the close proximity of the presence of God. So here is the one caution for people who may have a relational pathway in this room, becoming overly dependent on other other people. When we have a relational pathway, it might be that we have a hard time being alone. It's actually really good for us to be alone sometimes. And so there's gonna be an ebb and flow on these pathways, and we wanna, again, be as balanced as possible, like Jesus, so that we can recognize our primary, recognize a secondary, and increase all aspects of it so that we can, again, make ourselves available to all the benefits across all the pathways. But that's number one, the relational pathway. Here's a second one. That may not get a lot of airtime in certain denominations. It's called the intellectual pathway. Um, we connect with God when we are studying or learning. Uh, there are certain people, now, again, caveats for all of these. God made each and every one of us with a brain that should be as fully developed as possible while we're in this world, right? Jesus said that we're supposed to love Him with all of our minds. In fact, Christians are probably the people who shouldn't develop less of their mind, but more of their mind. When people accuse us of being narrow-minded, that should not be true about us. We are committed to the narrow way of the gospel, but we are broad-minded enough to say we've considered all of these things, and we've come to terms of the fact that following Jesus along the narrow way is what leads to the good and beautiful life. We should not be afraid of exposing ourselves to other ideas. We shouldn't have to hide and turtle and huddle up in a secular culture because those ideas out there are dangerous and bad. I'm not afraid of those ideas. Let's explore them. I spent some time during COVID, almost three years, uh, pursuing a degree in a whole other discipline that was outside of my primary area. I absolutely loved it. And you know what it did for me? It strengthened my faith even more. It was a way for me to understand the human condition, the way humans behave, and I'm thinking the gospel of Jesus works incredibly well. The principles in Scripture are timeless for us. And so there are certain people, though, who love to listen to podcasts and read books, and and they love to have rigorous conversations with other people, and they like to do a deep dive, and, and they feel intellectually stimulated. But not just that. Not just are they intellectually stimulated. They actually feel closer to God when they are learning. Learning is for all of us. But for some of us in this room, I give you permission to maximize that capacity that God has given for you to explore things with a mind that works incredibly well. You know, as Pentecostals over the years, and I mean probably over the decades, we sort of downplayed the mind. I remember hearing people say, The paralysis of analysis. I understand what they mean by that, but non-verbally what they indirectly communicated was don't spend too much time thinking about things because thinking is unspiritual. Thinking is not unspiritual. Please give me an amen. amen. Please give me an amen. Because the antithesis of that is somebody handing out purple grape juice and saying, because I poured it, you drink it. I invite you to challenge the, thought, the thinking, challenge the thoughts, challenge the ideas. Stay alert, stay engaged. Scripture says that. Don't go on autopilot. Be alert. Be engaged. Think. It's not unspiritual at all to be somebody who develops your mind and develops it well. I often pray for young people. Lord, may their mind be maximized for your glory and honor. Make them a sharp thinker, somebody who thinks well. It's important. And so if we've ever communicated, especially to those of you who have an intellectual pathway, that somehow that's somewhat unspiritual, please forgive us. Please forgive us. The mind is a beautiful thing that should be fully redeemed and reclaimed. Thinking about beautiful things is itself a beautiful thing. All right, so let's keep going with this. Here's a description of these kinds of people the road to our hearts more easily moves through our head. When we grab a hold of ideas, when we can sit in the tension between two equally two thoughts and let wisdom emerge, it's like oh, an aha moment emerges. Biblical character for this pathway is Solomon. He didn't always make great decisions, but he probably had an intellectual pathway. Listen to what he writes in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3. He says to all of us, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it, if you search for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It is super okay to go on an intellectual pursuit. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, Now, here's a caution for those of us who might be in the intellectual pathway. Guard against, this is John Ortberg, guard against becoming all head and no heart. Don't confuse being smart with being spiritually mature. They are not the same thing. That makes sense, right? You can be smart and be spiritually dwarfed. We want to reclaim the whole person, body, soul, mind, and spirit, and bring that whole person to God. Paul gives us a caution. What does he say in in 1 Corinthians chapter 8? Love, sorry, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So if knowledge is mispronounced in your life, overemphasized at the expense of character and service and humility, he says that can be a problem. That can be challenging. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And here's Solomon at the very end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It is a book of intellectual musings and reflection and contemplation. He says at the very end, he says, Of making many books, he knew it firsthand. Of making many books, there is no end. And he says, much study wearies the body. When people study, it can be exhausting. It's not the same as going out and doing manual labor, but it can be exhausting. When I go home on Sunday afternoons, I'm tired after preaching teaching. I don't know why that's the case, but I'm spending energy up here in some way. My mind is working. My mouth is going. All that kind of stuff. Not always in concert either, by the way, but it happens. (laughs) But when we do thoughtful work, it can be tiring, This is what Solomon is saying. He says, it wearies the body. And then he comes to this beautiful conclusion after doing all sorts of mental work. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. I love Solomon's affirmation for study, but his realistic um, description of it as well and it, it actually translates into a life fully devoted to God. So for some of you, it's a relational pathway. For others of you, maybe intellectual pathway, give yourself permission. It's all okay. All right, number three, worship as a pathway. These people connect naturally with God through music and the arts. Um, there can be two different kinds of people. Some people can hardly wait for the worship band to get going. And when they're over, they tolerate someone like me and say, when's he going to end, right? <laughs> and sometimes other people are like, I'm going to come a little bit later after the worship team's done, and I'm going to slide, and I want to hear the teaching, right? Both are really, really important. Right? To gather for worship. Maybe because it's your primary pathway. You can hardly wait to get started. When you're making your commute into Toronto, you got your Spotify account going, the worship tunes are filling the car, you got your AirPods in, whatever's happening. But when life gets hard for you, you turn to worship music. For others of you, you go to a place of solitude, or you go and meet with friends, or you go and you find uh, your, your place in nature in some way, just to be alone with God. There's all sorts of ways. But for people who have a worship pathway, and all of us are made to worship, and worship is more than music in a band for the first 20 minutes of the worship gathering. Worship is your entire life. But what we're getting at here today is the idea of the role that sacred music and the arts play in helping us connect with God. It can be a wonderful, wonderful on-ramp for people. And so a description of these kinds of people, we turn to worship music when our experience of life is hard and our soul is feeling somewhat tender. We just go to that. We don't pick up the phone. We don't text a friend. We don't go for coffee with somebody else. We don't grab a book or a journal. We just throw on our favorite sacred music, and it lifts our spirit. Many of us are like that. It's a wonderful pathway by which we can feel connected to God. A biblical character for this is David. He was a poet and a musician. Listen to this in Psalm 59, verse 16. He writes, But as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. That's where he goes. O my strength, to you I sing praises. For you, O God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. 150 psalms, many of them penned by David, are songs put to music, poems that he crafted. The arts can be incredibly invitational to invite us into the goodness and the beauty of God. And some of you in this room have tremendous gifts and capacity around music, and you have an aptitude for it, and it's part of the way God's made you. And so it's not the only way you lean in, but it's one of the primary ways you lean in, and it's very, very helpful for you. It's part of the way you reach for God. It's a good thing. Now, one caution for you, and this is by a spiritual writer named Richard Foster. He says this those of you who may have a worship primary pathway, this is a tough word, but it's important. He says, guard against spiritual greed. The desert mothers and fathers spoke of the sin of spiritual gluttony or spiritual greed. That is, wanting more of God than can properly be digested. Sometimes when we have certain pathways, it can take us to beautiful places. And if we practice and we go to environments without being wonderfully self-aware, it can take us off course somewhat. There are people maybe in this pathway who will just travel to the place after place after place after place, seeking out something that's experience-rooted. Rooted in experience and rooted in an emotional experience. Worship is more than emotions, though it can touch our emotions. We just want to be on guard If for people who have a worship pathway that we also stay rooted in the text of Scripture and that we stay connected to a relational community. And then as we talk about next year, that we find places sometimes to be alone in God's great sanctuary. So here's the last one for you, just for today, the last one. It's the naturalist spiritual pathway. These people connect easily with God when we are in the sanctuary of the great outdoors. How many of you love to be by the lake? How many of you love to walk through some trail in the middle of a forest, go camping in Algonquin Park, watch a glorious sunrise or sunset, stand by a a, a body of water and watch the water lap up to your feet and just enjoy the peace of the moment? That is a beautiful experience, isn't it? I don't know many people who say, that's the worst place in the world to be, is out in nature where it's peaceful and quiet. Though I have talked to people before who prefer the urban jungle over being out in the great outdoors, and it might be just because the day we're living in we're in the the urban jungle so much, that's kind of all we've conditioned ourselves to know. Um, But the great outdoors, absolutely wonderful. A friend of mine the other day sent me a picture of a deer just on the backside of their backyard. And he said, look at this beautiful creature. And it was like, oh, if you get a chance to see one of God's beauties like that, there's something, right, that just makes you smile and appreciate all that God has made. I went for my walk this morning with my AirPods in. I was listening to some music, listening to a podcast for a bit. And then I took them out. and It was just like an invitation to listen to the birds sing. And they were just chirping away. And I don't know what they were saying about me, but they were chatting away. And uh, it's, it's a good thing just to stay still sometimes and listen. So for some of you you have to get out into nature sometime. And the summer season is here, right? This is a wonderful opportunity to get out, even though 12 months of the year, God's nature is just beautiful in a different way, right? The snow-covered branches and all the beautiful things that are out there in all four seasons, the colors that change in the autumn or the fall season, absolutely beautiful. So a description of these kinds of people, being outdoors easily replenishes us. We experience the closeness of god when noticing the goodness and beauty of god's creation it's just like oh i feel like this is a worship moment for some people worship comes way more naturally being in nature than being in a setting like this where we have a sound system and we're singing and clapping and all the music that goes with it um worship is not limited to what happens here it's not limited to what happens there but for some of us when we go out it's kind of like i feel the close proximity of god when i am out in nature um Let's keep going then we'll land this biblical character for this Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 1 writes these words He says for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen Being understood from what has been made So when we go out in nature, we get a chance to see a glimpse of the invisible God who made all things that are seen And then jesus himself, right? Mark chapter 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. I have a feeling he enjoyed just being by the water. And then the poet David, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's not just nature. It takes us somewhere to the creator behind his good creation. And um, so this is the, the invitation for you today. If The naturalist pathway is yours as a primary pathway. Why don't you kind of stretch yourself and move toward the relational pathway and take a friend or two with you into nature? Or maybe take a good book into nature and explore the intellectual side of things. Or maybe take your AirPods and listen to some beautiful music while you're out in nature. You see where I'm going with this, right? Bring them together. Relational, right? Right? we were made to be relational creatures. All of us in this room have a mind. Let's, let's develop it to the capacity by which we can. And we can do that with friends. You can join a book club. There's a bunch of ladies getting together this summer who are exploring a book. They're stretching their minds and their hearts, and they're doing it in community, right? There are all these ways by which we can access God and be deliberate and intentional. It's not, it's not just about this, what's happening right here, right now. This is very important, but this is not the only way for us to connect with God. There are lots of ways, and give yourself permission to uh, find the way that resonates for you best, and if everybody else in your family looks at you like you're a foreigner, that's okay. That's the way you connect with God, and so uh, so go to it. I've said this before many times that the tradition that i'm a part of which i am proud to be a part of i sometimes feel a little bit like I have a square peg round hole but i'm so thankful for the uh, Pentecostal assemblies of canada made room for a guy like me and they uh, allow me to be the contemplative that i am um, i have my own pathways that's one by the way a contemplative pathway it's a beautiful one where reflection comes so naturally and time thinking about things stepping back playing the role of the observer wonderful way to connect with god Do it in a way that connects and resonates with the way God made you and something will leap in your spirit and you will no longer have this pseudo-artificial experience, but it will be so authentic, so real, and most importantly, so transformative. So, spiritual pathways, say yes to them. It's good.